Okay. So, uh, I guess we'll make a start. Um, I did want to mention that uh, case uh, we weren't able to hear uh, while it was going on. It would be very worthwhile to hear some of the Aspazim, Rav Dava Feinstein, um, Zachan of Racha, to just uh, share one thought that Shmuel Kamenetsky said. He said that he was a altogether unique personality in being able to befriend and be a friend to every person. To combine that level of greatness and that level of pastus and simplicity and being able to be as a true, real buddy <laughs> to any person was of a unique, like almost unparalleled, I don't know if you could say unprecedented <laughs> to go back to Hill Azokin, but uh, anything that we know of, totally unique, totally uncomparable. And uh, there's so many reasons the, uh, the lost the cholesterol is gigantic and that can only serve, should only serve to us as motivation to do our small part that we can do and to rely upon Debishta to care for Klal Yisrael in, in the way that he knows how, of course, as he has been all the way through. Um, I remember in the summer at the convention uh, following the, uh, the year that uh, with Ramosha and Yankov Kamenetsky when Nifter said that the Ebishta only gives us those kinds of questions and those kind of challenges that we are able to deal with. So we don't have to be overwhelmed by the loss of the truly greatest people. But uh, for us to learn from their drachim uh, is certainly a very, very worthwhile endeavor, not to be overwhelmed, to say, this is nothing that I could actually be, but to learn from it, to, to find the place, where could I be a little bit more like that? Because it's so beautiful. Okay, so let's try to make a start. Uh, no, I think it's a pretty, pretty valid that if we could learn something uh, helpful for life from the events of the election, that uh, that could be quite a significant consolation. Not that we necessarily need any consolation. Hashem is running the world. He needs no particular shluchim. Everything is just uh, under his control, just puppets. But um, we can have hopes, we can have disappointment, we can have worry, concern, but we can also have a opportunity to perhaps learn some things that 
could be quite um, meaningful and powerful and helpful. So I'll start with the question that I had, I confess to having had, and uh, we'll see where it takes us. I must confess I had a question for, for a little while. How is it possible for millions of people to vote for somebody when they don't know who is going to be running their country? Now you might say, well, we never really know who it is that's going to be running our country because what do we know about the candidate? But in a situation where you know with certainty that the person that's in front of you is not going to be the one who is going to be calling the shots because he's not or is not going to be capable. So at first it was um, quite a um, troubling question to me. How could people abdicate the responsibility to provide the country with a capable and uh, trustworthy commander in chief, as opposed to some kind of a shadow government that uh, you don't even know who <laughs> is in charge of it. But then, um, before too long, I realized, well, of course, this is not a question. Because of course, if someone is a Democrat, their party, my party has to win. I have to win in this election through my party. And of course, where the um, other party or the candidate of the party is um, very powerfully hated. So there's all the more uh, powerful emotion involved. And then uh, it's no surprise when all logic goes out the window. There isn't any place for it. But then the question rose in my mind, okay, and what is that really all about? What is that the source? What is the substance of that, that powerful need for my party to win? And what is the source of the hatred for the opposing party or the opposing candidate. And then I found myself asking about myself, why do I hate the left and Obama and the Clintons? <laughs> do I really believe they have any power? No, I don't believe they have any power. They're nothing, they're nobody. Do I really hate evil so much that <laughs> I hate them because of their evil? I doubt that's it. Is it uh, because uh, Mark Levin is getting me so riled up? I don't think that was it either. So I was wondering about that. What is the hatred against the other side, so to speak? What is that really all about? And of course, when you stop to think about it, the question spreads to anybody who really follows sports and knows what it means to be a real fan and live and die with your team. You can ask, ask yourself, well, what is it that is making me feel that when my team wins that I won? I don't know the players, they don't know me. It's not like, you know, in the 1950s where the Brooklyn Dodgers were regular guys in the neighborhood and you might have actually, you know, had a chance to meet them and hang out with them. 
They don't know you, you don't know them. There's no real connection whatsoever. But yet this is a very powerful emotional connection. And I had some experience with it um, back in the day when Knicks were playing the Celtics on the Chalmoid Pesach sixth game with Phil Jackson on the line for two shots. And I felt my heart pounding <laughs> out of the anxiousness of the moment. <laughs> and even uh, much, much after that, when, uh, when, when, that, when Mariana blew the seventh game to Arizona and you heard the call, ball game over, World Series over, Arizona wins. I was like, oh. <laughs> okay, it didn't, didn't make me depressed for days, but it was enough to be bothered. What is that? What is that all about? What is that koach in the person? And the truth is, if you take this question further, you can pose the question in the context of world history. And why are people of a country following, granted a charismatic leader to send their best young men to die in the battlefield for the glory of France or the glory of whatever nation it might've been? What is that power? What makes that worth it? So I think maybe we can get a little help from Masul Sashorim, just to sort of make a little Not that it's quite exactly the same. I want to thank everybody for being here. It's uh, quite inspiring to see all these names and even some faces. Even some new ones. Um, so, Mr. Sasharim brings a powerful proof that um, the purpose of a person's existence in this world cannot be for his experience in this world. And that proof is the existence of a neshama being granted a neshama that is of such an exalted nature that it's beyond that, even of the Malachim comes from the highest, highest place. And Sharm continues and he brings the Medrash and Kohelis that the Neshama has no enjoyment, no satisfaction from anything in this world. And he uses an expression from the Chazal that if you'll bring to it all the delights, all the pleasures, all the good things of this world, the neshama will not be satisfied. They're like nothing because the neshama is from El Yoinim. And he, Chazal give a mushal to a princess, Basmelech, that had to marry a commoner who knows what kind of a turmoil could have taken place in the country. And, with no other choice, better than being left alone. She married a commoner, although a very wealthy one. And he wants to give to his newly wedded wife. And even after they're newly wedded, all the good things in the world. 
and he proceeds to do that. He is wealthy enough to give to her the most expensive jewelry, to build for her the most gorgeous palace, to take her on the most amazing round-the-world journey. Any pleasure in the world he can give to her and he brings to her, but it's meaningless to her because she's a basmelech. And so too, if we give the neshama, if a person tries to bring to the neshama all the good things of the world, they cannot satisfy the neshama. So if we stop to think about it, it seems quite strange. What does it mean altogether bringing to the neshama all the good things of this world? Does the neshama taste the wine? Does the neshama eat the steak? Is the neshama having any materialistic pleasure? That only relates to the guf, it doesn't relate to the neshama. So what sense is it being brought to the neshama? At least in the case of the Bas Melech, she's been given all these gifts, but the neshama, how was the neshama receiving them? And the truth is, even in the case of the Mashal, why is it indeed that the that the princess that the princess is um, not satisfied and not benefited by all these wonderful good things. After all, she's, she's, she's been given all the good things of the world. So why are they why are they nothing to her? So, for lack of any other way to explain this, I think we have to really look into, get in on the scene of what's taking place when that's, what can we say? The husband that's yearning to give something to his wife, the princess. What does he want to give to her? What does he want to give her the most? What does she need the most? Does she need just beautiful jewelry? Does she need just fine wine? Is that what he's trying to give to her? To mashallah of a husband and a wife. What is he trying to give to her? And why is he giving her all these good things? Just because she has a very high standard lifestyle? I suppose that's that's maybe part of it, but I imagine he's trying to do more than just that by giving her everything good in the world. I would imagine he's trying to say to her, I know how great you are. I know how exalted you are. I know your refined character. I know your magnificent personality. I have such admiration, such respect, such love, such gratitude to be so fortunate, so blessed to be together with you. 
He wants her to be able to feel her honor, her glory, her greatness. And these are all just demonstrations. These are just symbols of it. She's worthy of all the good in the world because of who she is. But there's just one problem. She's royalty. He's a commoner. So all those gifts cannot express to her, cannot enable her to feel her true greatness because they're coming from a person of a common stock and it cannot be the means of giving honor to someone of royal lineage. A commoner cannot honor the crown princess. He can care for her. He can be helpful to her. He can be devoted to her. But he cannot enable her to feel her greatness with his gift because it's his gift. And he maybe can't even understand royalty, but he certainly cannot be the means of the glory of royalty with all that he's giving because he is just of ordinary lineage and she is royalty. And maybe that's a large part of what's happening in the human experience, that the person knows deep within him this true exalted nature and wants to give expression to it, wants to find expression to it, wants to say to himself, I know how great I am. I know how great this neshama within me is. I, I don't know how to describe it. The neshama is craving it. The person is craving it. There's a, there's a demand of that to be experienced. And the Shama is so designed that it should be given to know its greatness. But if what's trying to be used is material things, all the pleasure of the world, all the victory of the world, all the accomplishment of the world, of a, of a materialistic form or a worldly form, that will not give the Shama to experience its true greatness. Can climb Mount Everest. He could do some feat that no person has ever done. He could have an enjoyment that no person ever enjoyed. And it will not enable the Neshama to feel its true greatness. The Neshama can only experience its true greatness of a spiritual nature, where, where the Neshama's true essence is being actualized, where the person is choosing and actualizing and bringing forth the, the spiritual part of himself through his own choice, through his own effort, through his own decision. And then he comes to realize that true spiritual nature that's within him. So these are all in situations where a person is doing something, is driven for action, driven for experience. But I think there might be, in a similar vein, an independence, power in a person, a natural koach in a person mm -hmm. that serves as a pseudo form, a dimion form of the experience of greatness. And that is the attachment to some 
other entity. It could be a party, it could be a team, it could be a cause, even a cause for justice, a great cause. It could be a person where the person, there is a kalach in a person to naturally, just purely emotionally attach to something great, especially where it's in a situ situation of conflict, of contest, of battle, to be the victor, to be the one who has emerged victorious. And through that, have an experience of greatness that's not of his own making even. It's just, sometimes there could be personal involvement as well, but there could be an experience of just an emotional attachment to something great and powerful and be great through that, especially where it's in a form of contest and victory. And if we stop to analyze it, you can almost see from it, from all the elements, the sort of flip side of the true form of human greatness and human achievements. All the elements that are present are the opposite of what is truly good in a person and what a person truly experiences his true inner greatness. Can I ask no, you something if you don't mind? Um, almost, but no hold, problem, yeah. hold it, hold it, hold that question. Yes, I, I can see three elements. Toward, um, Josh, I'll come back to you. <laughs> I would promise, but you know, I don't want to take a chance. <laughs> um, one is it's not of myself, I'm attaching to something else. It's the vicarious experience. So it's an experience of greatness that's not of my own. It's because this, the party is the winner, the team is the winner, the candidate is the winner, the, the, the cause is the winner, and I'm attached to it. So that's not of my own true self. That is of something else, and I'm just attached. That is not the godless Adam. The greatness of a person is where it's of himself, where he produces it, where he chooses it, where he forges it of himself. And this is of something else that I'm just attaching to. And it's usually in a form of where it's in with conflict, where there's one side against another side. One country is defeating the other country or one team or one party or even in a cause, there's gonna be someone who will be put in their place in this, in this effort. And that is the opposite of the true shlemus of a person, which is only achieved through real connection to other people, of course, and to Hashem. That's made out of shalom, achtos, friendship, closeness, chesed, compassion, respect. That's all elements of connection. And these are all made out of, most of the time, powerful elements of disconnection and conflict. And the, the third element that came to mind is 
that is purely emotional. It's not being created through a person's seichel. It's not coming from a deeper understanding, a deeper awareness of what is truly good, of what is true, of what is refined, of what is beautiful. It's just an emotional experience. The emotions are at play and they function by themselves. And the essence of a person is what? His seichel, his das. What does the Pasuk say? Bezois is hollow. Well, what can a person truly pride himself? Haskel v'yadaya oisi. Understanding Hashem. The ultimate achievement is in the das, is in seichel. Is in understanding the midas of Hashem in all their refinement, in all their beauty, in all their delicateness. Sometimes we need to see them in action to get some kind of an understanding of them. Ashray, the person who got to see it in action. So that's the thought that I had. And I think that we could then utilize those experiences where these emotions are working within us in a very powerful way as a means of coming to awareness of the flip side. No, 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 that's not going to be... <laughs> I mean, I have to, I have to tell you. I'll be, I'm finding myself imagining, let's see Trump coming back, rallies, rallying the country, <laughs> imaginations of like a whole movement. This is all imagination running wild of what kind of a nature. Oh, we're going to win. We're going to come back. This is going to be a powerful force for, 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 for good in the country. Revolution for good. Revolution for freedom. Okay, that's going to have nothing to do with my life, even if it happens. So we could use that experience as, oh, this is the imaginary form. This is the dimian form. This is, the, this is the false form of human greatness and all the materialistic forms of achievement that we might try to utilize to feel our greatness. These are, yes, naturally what we gravitate towards, living in a physical world, having these emotional powers within us, but that can enable us to stop and pause and question, okay, these forces are here, but after all, what really is my true greatness? How will I truly experience it in the best good way? Will it be a thrill of victory? Will it be a thrill of hate? <laughs> or will it be something that's very calm, very pleasant, very fine, very sensitive, very beautiful, very deep? You know. I made a decision that I'm not going to let myself get overtaken emotionally by all this. Not, not that it was like so hard. It was just like, I don't know. I just, maybe I just want to, couldn't handle it. But, you know, I had the thought. Nicomora says that to be able to learn properly, you have to be calm. You have to have a, a sense of calm about you. So um, you want to maintain a good sense of calm at all times when the emotions are taking us over, that's just a sign that we have not yet achieved that in its best good way. And we can have it for a moment and then it could sort of slip away. So we should 
try to set our sights on that achievement of the true greatness of a person. That's of wisdom. That's of a good connection. That's of understanding the ways of Hashem. How can we understand truth and justice and yosher? Unless we learn Baba Kama to know when you're Chayv, when you're Pater. Of course, we need to learn Baba Kama to be able to learn all the good Svarim. So all the efforts that we can make to be able to be more refined in our understanding, able to grasp what is Avo, what is Yiro, what is Dvekus, what is Yira Shemayim, what is Godless, what is the Torah. So then we'll, we'll be worthwhile. I'll say, oh, this, this, this got me to turn in the right direction. Okay, <laughs> I can bear it. Okay, Josh, go ahead. Yes, hello, Rabbi. So first of all, well, not first of all, this is my only question. Why does Rabbi, um, no, what, what, yeah. Why is it that a person may try to be the victor of things, that he may try to, you know, win things over? You know, to be better than stuff. Why would that be natural um, instinct of someone to make himself feel great? Um, that's a good question. Um, my, my guess is that it's an element of being the opposite of the true form of greatness. Shabbat Shalom says, I think it's beginning of Toldos. Shalom always places the good midah as the opposite of the negative midah. There's the, the power in a person of yosher, of truth, of righteousness, of justice. Then there's the power in a person to do everything the opposite of yosher. So if the true form of greatness of the neshama is dafka as the peak midah, shalai, the actus of a klal how was that achieved? Through caring for each other, through helping each other, through respecting each other, through learning from each other, and with actus with Hashem, following his midas, becoming like him, connecting to him. So then the false form it would only be, uh, you know, to be expected. It should be no surprise if the false form contains the elements of the opposite of that, where there has to be a competition, unfortunately sometimes to the death, to gain enough power to sense greatness through victory, which is the false form. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is the opposite false form of experience of greatness as, a, as opposed to the true form of it where, of course, you have to stand up against evil when it's attacking you. Of course, is the concept of Muhammad and the Torah in Muhammad's mitzvah, where the other countries are given first the option to uh, accept and to accept our, our rulership, which is really better for them, of course. But um, we, like, uh, why would a person... For that. We're not hoping for that. So, you know... I'm just curious, why would it... Yeah, yeah. Why, why would a person be attracted to the opposite of his greatness? How is that supposed to be what he's looking for that's going to make him feel, you know, good? So, yeah. The, my, the suggestion is, like, and I cannot prove this, and I hope that um, it can be found in the sources that are much more reliable than, um, you know, 
my suggestion, but the suggestion is that the Abishta made with us, within us, a pseudo form, a, a pretension form, a counterfeit form of that experience of greatness. Similar to where I'm trying to give the Nishamat's feeling of greatness through worldly success and worldly pleasure. I should feel my greatness because I had a trip around the world. I should feel my greatness because I made a wedding that cost half a billion dollars. I should feel my greatness because I, I had all these pleasures and all these achievements. These, these are not true to the neshama. That's not how the neshama can experience his greatness. In a similar way, perhaps there is ingrained in a person a power of attachment to something great and something in contest that will thereby give me a sense of achievement and power and greatness in the false form. Uh -huh, but is it there to truly, truly emotional? And in that sense also, it's the opposite of the true form of it that must be through the intellect. Interesting. So um, what's it called? Is it there to distract the person from what he is really meant for? Just to, you know, feel good in the moment? Because after all, perhaps going with our good senses is hard and it, you know, it takes a uh, long time, let's say, and all that. Much, much worse than distract. Um, any, any power that we discover of the Yetzir Hara is just a revelation of the enormous power of the Tzara Toiv and the Neshama that Hashem had to give it these challenges for it to, to bring out its true greatness. And since the neshama is so powerful, so there needs to be equal and opposite negative forces uh -huh. okay. to struggle with. These are all means of powerful struggle that Hashem has designed in a person to, like, like you're saying probably, to veer off and be sort of deluded and think like, oh, I could have it here. I could have it through this. I will have it through this. But I won't have it through that. I will only have it in its true form, where the neshama is involved in the creation of it, where the das is involved in the creation of it, and where the nature of the creation of it is what? Avav, achvav, shalom, v'reus, emes, kshayt, yoysha. Wow, very interesting. Uh, yeah. As if we are, Daya says the whole Torah is MS Kshait Avav The rest is just a Pirish. If we are attracted to these like opposite um, forces, and this is an expression of that, so why is it so much more prevalent than you know everything else? Any other form of that? It, it, you see, everyone turns flips on the sports game. We're not all going to you know I don't know, going to beggars and taking money from them. Um, well, I'm, I'm not suggesting that that's the entirety of why we follow sports. There, there could be entertainment quality of, you know, good athleticism or, you know, the, the spectator form of watching the competition. But it is fascinating how it's, it's very natural to get pulled into choosing one side to root for and all of a sudden getting emotionally involved in the contest. I remember driving to a chasana in Brooklyn, listening to a Rangers playoff game against the Flyers, the seventh game shootout. I wasn't a Rangers fan. All of a sudden, like, I care that the Rangers only you know, that, and that they lost. You know, like, 
what is going on here? <laughs> so obviously it's quite powerful. It's quite powerful. Rebbe. Yes, go ahead. You're, so going back to, to the muscle. Yes. You're, it, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like what you were saying was in the nimshal, a person's desire for worldly achievements and pleasures is a is a manifestation of a subconscious awareness of their soul and they're trying to bring recognition to the greatness of their soul through great worldly achievements right now i wouldn't suggest that's the entirety but it could be a major component you know why does somebody want to climb mount everest Okay. Uh, okay. It's not. And you're not saying it's the entirety, right? There could no. be like you could also like. It could also you know, be covered, right? You like could like the fresh weather. I want recognition. I want the, the pleasure. But isn't covered apart? Right, but the, but 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 I'm talking about there could be a drive to climb Mount Everest, even if it won't make the papers. I will just know myself that I did this phenomenal feat. So, the, <laughs> so I have two questions. Please. It it's it same it seems like a it's like it seems like a really big, very profound revelation into human nature that you're extracting from the muscle. But in the muscle, when he's talking about the pauper and the princess, he's not a pauper. He's wealthy. He, well, he commoner. was a he was a commoner, commoner. and he's right. He's commoner. He stumbled into enormous wealth. Mm -hmm. The princess only came from one castle. He was able to buy her ten castles. Right. But all that Monsieur Sharm is saying is, is if you were to try to do that, he's expressing that there's just like this disconnect. From where do you see that this insight into human nature, that we are trying to bring some sort of recognition to our soul? Because maybe we, maybe we don't recognize our soul. Maybe our pursuit of greatness and is, is for some other thing. But the muscle said, the, in the, his muscle is explaining if the, if the commoner did stumble upon wealth and try to use it to express the greatness that he recognizes her royalty, it would not work because he's not royalty. Right. So, so what is the nimshal that that is coming to explain? What does it mean? Well, he's trying to prove that he's trying to prove that there's, there's uh, a nefesh. He's really trying to prove that there's an olam haba, right? He's saying that the nefesh is not satisfied by worldly pleasures. So that means that he's describing it as if there is some kind of pleasure being brought to the nefesh. Now, what what worldly pleasures are being given to the nefesh? The nefesh doesn't eat steak, right? I mean, right. of course, human being is a combination of the like. Is that and really like? And he's saying he's, he's saying that he's state. saying that all the, the the greatest pleasures in the world right. could not recognize or bring any re actualization to the greatness of the soul because right. it is royalty. You cannot experience it through right. physical things. Right, but I, I just want the the, all the separate the separate. It's just the sep. It's just this other insight that. Because it's the other insight that I'm not seeing the connection to, where. What are you referring to? I thought you were saying that our that that our pursuits of worldly pleasure, to some extent, is because we recognize our soul, and deep down we're trying to bring the soul out, or recognize it, or actualize it, or some bring cubo to it. 
not conscious. It's all not conscious. All unconscious. Right. 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 That's the connection I don't see. Is craving that recognition. How can it truly be recognized when I make good choices and I realize, oh, that must have come from a powerful spiritual source <laughs> that I was able to overcome that challenge. There must be something there within me. Baruch Hashem, it's still alive. But um, when I'm trying to use other things, not, of course, realizing it, but sort of responding to that Shama desire, then um doesn't work. doesn't give it that experience of, oh, this is really good. Remain, but if, if the Neshama is all about grace, you know, and it's filled with grace, then how could it be that... So what does grace mean? I don't know what grace means. Yeah, okay, maybe it's the funny word. What I mean is good mitos, mitos that are like Hashem, um, Rachamim, Anava, whatever you want to call it, right? If that's the if that's the intrinsic nature of the neshama, then why? Then how is it possible that a person can respond to his neshama with the opposite? I don't know if I could fully hop that. It would it would seem that there's that, that that we're trying to serve something other than our neshama. Perhaps our guf. Now we I I mean I've heard that the nefesh is partially physical also. Maybe maybe that's essentially what we're serving. I think the house of the Yitzhahora is the physical part of a person. So I'm saying. Well, you know, we do know there is this combination. The person of Guf and Neshama, Mafilasa Yisramos says that it's somehow combined together. But um, it's not a kasha like how can a person try to do that? Of course, he's not really consciously making that decision. Um, and after all, the material world is much more tangible. So it's it's easy to sort of be drawn into some kind of a um, heart set mindset, <laughs> unconscious thinking that if I scale Mount Everest, I will feel truly great. If I if I break the uh, the the barrier of the of the mile four minute mile barrier, then I'll be a great person, etc. But what's the mechanics behind the fact that I may be more easily drawn to do that? than to start working on myself to um, not be an arrogant person, let's just say, right? I guess the simplest answer would be that that's all part of the, the koach of the Yetzirah of a person, that there is this nature of being drawn towards materialistic substitutes. Materialistic oh, okay. means of experiencing it and not realizing that those aren't necessary and those won't work. And... Uh, some of the very seemingly almost ordinary spiritual experiences will provide it, and they are good enough. And that takes a lot of learning to come to realize that. You know, there's nothing glamorous about a much of a true spiritual achievement. When Hill is saying to the person of Shabbos, Sha'al b'ni kol you can ask me any question you have. Okay, it's only only became famous because the Gemara records it for us to know. But in Hill's experience, there's nothing to do with being, uh, you know, known about and becoming famous. Just the truth and the beauty of that patience and that devotion and that humility to give to the person as much time as he needs. Wait, Rebbe said there's nothing glamorous in, in um, achieving this or there is? I'm sorry. In in, in in the or in the in the best good situations of ruchnius, it's batsnei leches. There's no glamour. 
Yeah. Okay. Fine. Ah. So. So that's that's what material world is one that is comprised very much of glamour, of chiksoini, of something that looks, especially if it looks to others. Uh -huh. So that's the taiva of the other side, to call it that. Right. So to know that the, that the neshama side is of a very quiet, subdued nature. It's only between us and Hashem. No Why? Way. Because it recognizes Hashem, who's so much more significant than it. Um, I think it's safe to say that yes, yeah, somebody that's truly good needs no addition, <laughs> and therefore, anything that will only be that will be added will only be subtracting. I I would say I I would say a little bit differently, or right. I would yes. conceptualize it a little differently than either like subdued versus glamour. Okay. In in the physical world or the world in which we live, it's impossible. It's impossible to recognize potential for achievement. The only thing which is recognized is doing it. You cannot get any credit for being able to do something. The only way you could, the only way we rate or are able to perceive our ability is if we've done it. Think of any sport or any achievement like, uh, if if I want to if I, if I say listen I could I'm a I'm a great writer, I could write a book. Well, it's like, go ahead, write a book. It, it, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as able to do something, or to recognize the capacity to do something, outside of past proof uh, of actually doing it. So that's that's what you're saying when you say glamour. I think like I it's, I think it's much simpler. It's, it's when it, the neshama doesn't need a physical manifestation or any sort of um, objective achievement for its recognition of greatness or its recognition of capacity, which I think is a very hard thing for anyone to wrap their head around because as far as we're concerned, our whole ability to interact with other people and to recognize other people as far as like worldly matters go, whether it's in business or, or even outside of business, it's what what have you done? Like what have you actually done? That is how I could understand what you're able to achieve by looking at your actions, by looking at what you've accomplished, by looking at your achievements. So the person who wants to climb Mount Everest is that it's it's impossible for him to feel that he can, because there's no such rating system outside of having climbed Mount Everest. You could train, he could be a great athlete, could be perfect physical condition, but there's no it, it's still you still can't recognize yourself as a Mount Everest athlete until you've actually climbed Mount Everest. So well, I think the must, yeah. he has that potential to do it in order to attempt it. Yeah, but it's only it's it's only proven to himself and to the world once it's done. So like there's no there's no mounting there's no uh there's no there's no achievement in the training. So a person a person in peak physical performance see let's say he starts Mount Everest he starts climbing <laughs> for, so he trained for 12 months, but there's no difference in his own perceived or the world's perceived capability 12 months prior when he was 40 pounds overweight and he couldn't run a mile to the moment he starts climbing. Zero change in the world's perception of him or his perception of himself. But then when he actually climbs where no change has been made in his capacity, he's the same athlete he was when he started than when he climbed. But when he, when he reached the summit, now he's, a, now he's able to climb Mount Everest. Um, That's a... I'm wondering, maybe that's a independent deficiency in the world and people's 
perception of themselves and of others. Maybe we're, we're deficient in that regard independently that we don't really properly evaluate the potential that there might be within us and other people for uh, good achievements, whether spiritual or material. Yeah. yeah That's what makes you know, some people very uh, successful. They're able to see and perceive that potential that could be coming forth from the person if they're given a chance. Yeah, but my point is, can right. I say something? But my point is that that's still it's it's still perceived as potential. It's still perceived. That's the problem. And the problem is that in Torah, how is it different? Can you spell out? I think with Torah or the Nisham is that there's I don't really understand it because it's so far out of the pale of how we conceptualize things. But to some, it seems like to some degree that there is an innate royalty that is fully, uh, fully in its essence that is within us that doesn't need any milestone or achievement or actualization of potential for it to become fully valuable or worthwhile or special. Right, right. that's true, yes. Correct, very good. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking that I believe uh, it's not so black and white the way uh, Isaac's saying it. Because, you know, if I think that I can do something, then there's more of a chance that I'll be able to do it. It's like a lot of it is up to perspective. Kind of, it's called uh, self-fulfilling prophecies. I know 100%, I agree with you. But the question is, can you really give yourself respect over the fact that you have the potential for something? Or would you really need to actually use it and succeed to then really feel good about it? And by contrast, the Neshama was saying is innately great and just then has to just use all that greatness. But when it comes to the material world, it's true, I could accomplish something, but I won't really feel too much satisfaction or gratification over the, having the capacity. I could build a business. Okay, till I do it, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to feel good about that. I could do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, I think it's a start. It's definitely something to know that I could do something. You know, definitely it's, it's, it's important to be able to see that in ourselves and other people, 100%. And then we could, but it may not, you know, give us real satisfaction, um, like actual accomplishment in material worlds. And hopefully in the spiritual worlds, it could, because the Nishama's greatness is all contained. And in addition, along with that, is this potential for the fullest actualization together like just like oh until you do it it's nothing it's already something very great okay i have to say it's a real treat to see everybody here especially we see and and finally i recognize you david go ahead so i don't know so i have permission to speak i haven't been here for like two years yeah. Permission. 
<laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So my question is, um, I, I I just don't know how to go outside the Mesil Sharm because the 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 commoner or the peasant or wherever he is, the Ironi, mm -hmm. right? He knows he's an Iron. He knows that he's a commoner. He's aware of that. And he knows there's a princess, and he's aware that there's a princess, and he has this struggle. I don't understand how we could compare that to anything that's going on here, because it's hard for me to imagine anybody thinks that they are a commoner, anybody is aware of anything. There are no shaykhists in the Shama being a special princess. There's like, people are just completely lost. And we don't know why they're running after. Maybe they're just getting emotional because they need some, I don't know, energy in their life. They need some feeling. There's, so how, I mean, maybe over the last few years, we, the group has developed that. I'm, I'm, I'm just not understanding that. There is, a, there is a, a couple lines in the stipler along these lines. I'm just sort of like expanding it a little bit. You know, he talks about it. A person isn't being successful on himself. He'll go and he'll attach himself to a party. I'm just suggesting that there is a natural koach in a person to attach to something bigger than himself. Um, and in terms of, you know, not having our awareness of ourselves as the princess, of course, you're right that we don't naturally have that awareness. And it's good to make very good efforts to do whatever we can to try to come into contact with that through good learning and through good sort of attachment to daily activities, like mitzvot, like davening, like learning, etc. cetera. Um, but at least to know what's going on behind the scenes, that there is a powerful drive in a person to want to be aware of that greatness, to want to experience that greatness. It's powerfully driving. Oh, so, so just the awareness of it, that great power could help me to, to know something about the neshama, sort of direct me in that direction. Oh, like, what is that all about? You know, what, what opinion that the neshama wants me to be aware of it? <laughs> I don't know exactly how to put it into words, that's the truth. But you find an amazing Gemara in Psachim, Rav Papa, after he viewed his learning he was leaning against the door and he said Re -re rejoice my neshama for you I learned Torah Shabbat for you I learned Torah Shabbat you are worth it I'm doing all this for you I mean for you it's him I need to like know there's a neshama within me that I'm not consciously aware of in a real like conscious way but that is active, that it is powerful. So <laughs> I should try giving it a chance to have the experience that it really will benefit from. Like the Ramadan. I will have the greatest simcha. So we should we should be aware of our emotional state and the energy that we're exuding. And to recognize that there's a certain koach that we have within us as demonstrated in our response to what's going on and try to channel that 
for what is really going to bring us that sense of of, of happiness, and that well, is at least try to address it in its true form. I don't know if we can necessarily channel it, you know, <laughs> but at least to know, oh, a person wants to experience his greatness. He wants that is halal, I'm as halal. He wants to have that covet of true covet. How will he get it? How will he experience it? How will he experience it? That's how you'll experience It's not going to be wow, <laughs> but it will be there. Sometimes it might be wow. Sometimes you'll see something in art stuff and you'll say, wow. <laughs> it takes a while. Okay. Oh, does this help anybody feel better about the elections? <laughs> I wasn't really expecting that. But uh, the eager thing is to know that. That's very helpful. There's no, there's, there's, there's it's no. It's very helpful. Yes, go ahead, Simcha. I was just going to say it's very helpful for life. I'm not, I'm not. I have other things to worry about besides the elections, but uh, it's definitely uh, helpful for life. Okay, fantastic. Okay, yes, Good night. Thank you. Thank you all so much for being together, all together.